This is All That Matters from CJSR. I'm Liam Cody. And I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. All That Matters tells stories about arts and culture. Each week, we take small bites out of big problems. This week's show is super specific, but also touches something that all of us deal with at some point, and that's our relationship with the past. This all started when you read The Edmonton Queen, right, Chris? Yeah. It's this uh, really funny memoir by Darren Hagen, one of Edmonton's most well-known drag performers and writers, later made into a play. It recounts his ascent through the drag scene here in the 80s and 90s as Gloria Hole, and probably the best introduction to Darren's story is to let him tell a bit of it himself. This is a glimpse of what life was like for Lulu, Trash, and all the other queens in their drag family back in the 1980s. One day Lulu and I sat on a low brick wall watching the endlessly boring K-Days parade slept past. It was about to rain, as it always did, and we were bored, as we usually were. We were passing a joint back and forth giggling about how funny straight people were when they tried to stage a big event. Frankly, the most glamorous thing we had seen so far was the Klondike cake convertible, and we had better fashion sense. Then suddenly Lulu said, look! It's like Laura Ingalls in a toilet paper cozy. <laughs> Suddenly, we heard a scream from about three blocks away. Not a scream of fear or warning, as much as a scream of announcement, of arrival. Everyone around us looked in the direction of the scream. She was walking towards us in a drugged-out crinoline cloud, feathers in her hair, dress cut down to there, and a banner across her foamies that read, Clone Dyke Queen. Oh my God, it's trash. We cheered madly, and she heard us both screaming, and she joined us up on the wall. Here's my impersonation of trash. Uh, I did a hit of acid and decided it was a good day for a parade. Who even knew there was one already happening? So I just joined in. Girl, you should have seen the cute boy I had my picture taken with back there. Now, I was skeptical. I never thought trash looked that convincing. But as I sat there, disbelieving, Lulu shushed both of us. Shh! Jocks and convertibles. Three o'clock. A moment of reverent silence as the beefcake float drove closer. They were oilers. Or Eskimos or something much like that. I'd never been able to tell them apart. But just as they got to, oh, right about here, Trash screams, Hi, honey, give a girl a lift. Now the jocks all look in her direction, and then they wave, and then one of them motions for her to get in the car. That's my cue, see you later. She jumped off the low wall, navigated through a bunch of kids, and then trotted as fast as she could manage after the motorcade as Lulu and I sat silent, our jaws hanging wide open. The jocks' face changed expression gradually as Trash drew closer. Remember, Distance is a girl's best friend. Up close drag reality in broad daylight is a sobering experience. No one can blend that well. Now by the time the jock figured out what he was dealing with, it was way too late. Trash had climbed into the convertible and sat high on the back, waving like the perfect pageant winner. Short of physically tossing her onto the asphalt, there wasn't a lot he could do. But as they drove away, we saw Trash put her gloved hand on the jock's knee. The jock did nothing, he just sat staring straight ahead as his jock buddies howled with laughter. Lulu and I sat in awe. You go, girl, we whispered with admiration. Silently, we saluted, giving the royal wave. Hat to three, purse to three, pearls to three, wave and rest. Mm, beefcake, what a lovely image. Uh, so what's your question? <laughs> um, well, that world, I mean, it doesn't really exist anymore. Back then, trash and singers like Boy George could shock people by being gender ambiguous. That was a new and radical idea. But today, I mean, even Alberta's got legislation protecting transgender people from losing their job or their apartment. So I'm curious to know how drag has changed as the conversation about gender and queer rights has changed over the years. And now, 
how do we treat those pioneers who helped create this new world? So how are we going to get into it? Well, I asked Darren into studio, and I started by asking him about his early days in drag when he moved into Edmonton from the small town of Rocky Mountain House in the 1980s. I'm the Edmonton Queen, Darren Hagen. Um, well, tell me how you came under the wing of your drag mother, and explain what a drag mother is. Well, a drag mother is the individual that sort of breaks you into the drag scene, into the drag community. You don't just show up from a Rocky Mountain House trailer court with your little accordion, you know, and a pair of huge high heels and decide that you want to be a drag queen. You sort of hang out on the fringes of that society, and I was fascinated by it the first time I saw um, a really big drag show. It was Halloween, of course, when all drag queens are born, and uh, I was just fascinated, and so I started going to every drag show after that. There were the queens that were in charge with the crowns and with the titles, and then there was these ragtag bunch of punk rock street queens that were uh, dangerous and wild and fun and sexy and around my age and uh, Lulu was one of them now when I first met Lulu we actually went home together because we went home and can I swear on this show um, we went home and fucked because that's how you met people back then right back in the 80, in the early early 80s um, but it rapidly became obvious that we weren't actually boyfriend material at all we were girlfriend material um, because we ended up coloring and listening to Barbara Streisand all night <laughs> and we just literally fell in love with the idea of being sisters um, we were the same age within a few months, but in terms of experience, Lulu was years ahead of me. I had just moved to town. She had been working the street for a few years in drag. And uh, I managed to team up with her just as she started her long, long hard road to respectability off, off of the streets to become the Empress of Edmonton. And, and I was long for that journey. So how did Lulu get you ready for the stage? Well, it's funny because she actually kind of... It was a bunch of other queens that got me ready. Because at Flashback, if if you were cute and young and you knew all the words to a song and had a couple of moves, you would dance up on the speaker like a go-go boy. So, of course, I was out there, you know, giving it my all. And my favorite song, it was brand new. This is so lame. It's, <laughs> it's Raining Men had just come out. And everybody was freaking out about this song. It was a huge hit. And um, I was basically performing it on the speaker. But I wasn't in drag. I was just, you know, young Nelly boy up on the speaker showing off and I actually got spotted I, I guess I got headhunted or scouted <laughs> by the reigning empress Mrs. K and her and her gang and they were kind of the elite queens that us you know young scummy queens hadn't been invited to the into that world so I sort of got invited to do a show and uh, I did my first drag show and but uh, it was after that that Lulu and I really became tight and it was partially because we didn't really like the old guard of drag. It wasn't really us. And, and Lulu basically gave us both permission to become the rebels, the anarchists, the punk queens. And that's kind of, there was a new fashion for drag that was happening in Calgary and it was completely inspired by punk and new wave. And we kind of went that route instead. So rather than the crowns and the gowns and the high heels, well, we wore high heels because you gotta. Um, but it, we loved you know, garbage bags and rhinestones and black electrician's tape and just make it, you know, mohawks and black lipstick. And it was ridiculous um, and through that sense of otherness and, and sort of pulling yourself out of that world within that world we sort of established our own game and it was all about just being the most f***ed up bizarre people in the world that we could be like <laughs> she, she would hello if she don't know I was telling you this stuff we would do things like let's get on the this is back before loonies <laughs> thank god let's get on the bus with the money for the bus fare um, a dollar bill rolled up in, in our nose and we'll take it out of our nose and put it in. And we did these things just to see if people would notice how weird we were, right? It was all about drawing attention to yourself. And so that 
kind of became, when Lulu became more respectable and started to run for titles and we started to actually take over the drag scene in Edmonton, it was really about that uh, we're different than everybody else. So it was it was kind of amazing. This little drag, this little punk drag family of yours ended up becoming like the establishment for We a totally became the old guard. We became the problem that we were trying to erase ultimately. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? The fresh young face. I mean, it's going to happen with Trudeau now. I love love the fact that Harper's gone, but ultimately eight years down the road, everyone's going to be, oh, I'm so sick of Trudeau. You know, the, the new is always what's next, you know, and, and you get that piece of power, when, especially when you've lived a life of having no power, that when you're a drag queen and you finally get a piece of that power, you actually try and hold on to it for as long as you can, so which is why I'm still here, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, how does drag fit into your life now? Um, now I'm gender fluid for financial purposes. I, <laughs> if I was to coin sort of some modern terminology. Uh, I, I, drag is, I'm 51 years old. I don't mind admitting it. Um, and I always swore that I would never be a 50-year-old drag queen, not because there's anything to be ashamed of, but just because, oh my God, it's such hard work. It's kind of like trying to be a 50-year-old gymnast, right? At a certain point, you just can't do it anymore. Um or not the same way anyway. So now I run a company named Guys in Disguise. We are you know, getting close to celebrating our 30th anniversary um, of our very first Fringe Festival in 1987, which was kind of the beginning of public drag in Edmonton. So then you were invited to speak to like the, the newest generation of people doing drag here at the U of A a couple years ago. Can you tell that story about being invited? Oh, to God, I'm going I'm to piss people off if I tell that story. The language has changed. The the way that the oh, one of the things that um, that 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 my generation fought for was for the uh, the right to decide how we were referred to in the media and what kind of language was used to discuss our issues and and our lives. Um, and that's a fight for respectability. And I totally understood that at the time. And then um, uh, uh, a few years, I, I think it was about three years ago, actually, that I had been invited to uh, to speak to the. Well, I'm just going to cut in here. Uh, Darren was invited to speak to Outreach. It's a queer students club at the University of Alberta. Uh, and he was talking to them as they were prepping to put on a drag show. And I verified with Nick Diaz, one of the leaders at the time, that this story is accurate. Anyway, they invited me back the second year. Except they said, we had some students express a lot of concern about your use of the word tranny and your use of the word fag. And I got livid because, I mean, I'm a gay man. I've been called a fag my whole life. If I decide to use that word, it's a very conscious choice, and it's done with, you know, with intent. And it's not the intent is not, you know, to 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 wound anybody. It's sometimes to shock, out of complacency. Um, sometimes it's, you know, my way of reclaiming that word. You know, I've been referred to as that and I've called myself that and I've called my friends that over the years and within the drag community the word tranny is always an, has always been a term of endearment and now suddenly um, the university where I have actually been embraced because of the fact that I'm different and because of the fact that I'm something other than the norm and because of the diversity of the, the message that I bring suddenly I'm being told that there's words that I can't access anymore and you know as well as I do that if there's two words that I can't access then there's a whole list of words that I can't access and because um, I mean, even now I'm speaking with no, without notes. I'm kind of just winging it. I haven't studied gender theory. I haven't studied queer theory. I've, you know, tried to stay awake through Judith Butler. Frankly, I couldn't give a crap from, about most of it because ultimately people that study gender and, and drag are, most of them aren't in it. You know, a drag queen doesn't wake up and go, oh, I'm going to deconstruct gender today. No, the impulse is because 
you feel feminine and you feel like you need to express that. It's as simple as that. It's a much more intimate and personal thing. And so suddenly I felt like my life, the life that I had lived, the very experience that I bring to the table when I come and speak to a class off the cuff, suddenly I felt like that wasn't welcome anymore or that I was going to have to start censoring that. And so I refused, I refused to do the class. And it's not because I couldn't say the word fag. It's because we couldn't have a discussion about the word fag. And that kind of hurt me because, frankly, when we started doing this years ago, well, let me give you a, just jump back in time a little bit. The very first time I ever did anything at the university was with Lulu, and it wasn't a class on gender theory or queer theater theory or theater performance or dragon performance. You know what it was? Deviant psychology. We were brought in as examples of crazy people. Wow. And we did a drag show at 8 o'clock in the fucking morning in one of these auditoriums in the university. I'll never forget it. I can't. I still can't believe we said yes. But it was that was literally the first time I had ever presented anything queer at the university. The first time I'd ever been invited by the university to do anything. So the fact that I'm, you know, that I'm that my book is studied at the university now and that I speak to classes about a wide variety of subjects from queer lit to Edmonton lit to queer theory to to drag and gender. Um, it's it's been a radical shift. Um but I do it not as someone who's studied it, not as someone who has a degree, but someone who has lived it. I'm, I'm letting my life bubble out, and I'm trying to put it into words in a way that can actually teach people or help people or, or show them an example of what I've been through. And if I have to start censoring that, then I can't do it. I can't. It's just impossible. So it was, uh, I made me live it. I was so mad. I spent, I spent so many hours writing letters and trying to figure out, you know, did, which one was I, was I going to send to put my feelings clear. Um, but I was actually, the next day, I was having a long talk with an artist friend of mine who's about six, seven, eight years older, so kind of a different generation of gay man. He came of age in the 70s, whereas I came of age in the 80s. And I was bitching about the university and about how I've been censored and blah, blah, blah. And he went, you know what word I really hate? And I went, what? He went, queer. And queer is a word that I grew up with, and it's a word that I embrace. And in the 80s, it became a very political way of describing your your sexual minority-ness. And uh, I was just baffled. He had even done my festival, Loud and Queer, as a, as a writer several times. And I went, queer? How can you hate the word queer? And he went, well, I'm the generation that invented the phrase the gay man. And suddenly that was completely erased because the queer activists decided that that was not radical enough and it was pushed aside. Not that the word gay stops being used, but in terms of how the community is pre representing itself and how it's demanding that the media represents it, suddenly the language shifted because it stopped being about the fight for equal rights and it started being about the fight to stop people from dying of AIDS. And so something more radical had to be put in its place and the word queer was radical and a little more in your face and the queer act up, people started becoming the sort of the, the main group of activists and all the men that had fought just to be known as gay men instead of being referred to as perverts and homosexuals by the media what they wanted was no longer and so I that was a really good wake-up call for me because I went okay so this this class that I refused to do that wouldn't let me say certain words um, the generation that's living it now really is in charge of deciding what language is used to refer to them and I get that now I mean because it was something that that we did you know I didn't want to be referred to as a homosexual it was a clinical boring psychological word it had nothing to do with my gay life you know or my queer life or my life as a drag queen so I I kind of get it but at the same time I think a really valuable opportunity to discuss those words and to maybe recast those words in a new light um, was missed you're listening to All That Matters from CJSR. 
Today, we're talking about how drag has changed as the culture around it has changed. <laughs> so, Chris, it's interesting what Darren has to say here about how the new generation of drag performers sees the language he uses to talk about his life experience as being problematic. Uh, what do you think is driving that? What is the different issues that people in the queer community are facing today versus when Darren was in in the scene? Yeah, when he was most active and yeah, yeah more prominent. Um, well, the the most obvious differences are that um, probably, I mean, from my perception anyway, the most obvious differences are that back then being loud and outrageous on stage was probably a way of saying, you know, we're here, you you can't ignore us anymore. And gay and lesbian people were fighting for basic visibility because AIDS was killing so many gay men and governments just didn't want to talk about us or the epidemic. Now, mainstream North American culture is way more accepting of gay and lesbian people. HIV and AIDS are a less urgent crisis here anyway, and rights for transgender people are a more prominent fight. And I think you can see that in the drag king scene in Edmonton, which seems to be less focused on being outrageous and more on messing with people's expectations of where male and female are and where the gen- what the gender lines are even all about. Um, the queer community is also a lot more cautious now, I think, about internal discrimination on the basis of race and of gender and disability. Um, I got one Edmonton drag king, an academic, to tell me more. Full disclosure, I'm good friends with some of the people in their drag troupe. Anyway, we started out by rifling through their closet. Let's see here. We have some sailor things. Well, this is probably one of the favorite things that I like to wear, me and Lane both. These are unicorn horns that you strap to your head. (laughs) And they also have matching tails that are attached to like tidy whities Those are pretty cute. I'm Pony Meyer, or otherwise known as Pony Boy, and um, I do drag performance uh, mostly in Edmonton and research on drag kings in Alberta. Um, I've mostly performed with my partner Lane Gale Winechko. Yeah, we we do a lot of duets, but or group numbers with Queer Royale. Yep. Uh, troop here in Edmonton. Yes. <laughs> I'm originally from uh, Kentucky. So some in Lexington, the bluegrass, and uh, some of the eastern part of the foothills, Appalachian Mountains. And I came here in 2011, in the middle of winter. Not fun uh, for <laughs> for graduate school, for my, for my PhD. Talk me through, like, one of the performances that you've done that you think, like, really typifies what makes your kind of drag unique. A couple performances I've done that I like best, I think, are, are some of the boylesque performances that kind of blend drag and burlesque together. I like those because I really try to f*** with the reveal in burlesque, right? And so instead of having, like, a titty reveal be the main kind of, hey, here's my titty swinging around, I really try to downplay the titty. And, and it's mostly, you know, kind of an inversion of that, of the male gaze looking on, um, you know, titties basically. So, you know, what I, when I play with that, I, I like, for example, I'll, I will, 
I will write a message on my back, for example. Like uh, one one show I did was, uh, or piece I did was called Daddy's Boy. And that's what I had written on my back. And that was actually one of the main reveals, right? And and the second reveal will be my cock tassel. So, and then, you know, just having kind of underplayed breasts with <laughs> with electrical tape over them, right? What, do, what How do you feel about the space that's been created in Edmonton for you to come here and perform drag by previous generations of drag queens and drag queens. Yeah, I mean, I think people, I've noticed people always joke about Alberta just being very, you know, cowboy culture and entrenched in cowboy culture, and it's not a real, real city, it's not a big city, but from my perspective, coming from a much smaller place, Edmonton is, is quite big, and the queer arts and culture seen here are a lot, a lot more developed than what, you know, than other places I've lived. And Edmonton and Albert in general actually has quite a legacy of kinging. In the um, in the mid '90s, there were the Fly Bastards, and then there was the the Alberta Beef. In the mid, I think 2000s, and I think the Sirloins were a little group after that, and then the Queer Royale now. Both of the um, kinging and queening can be traced back to male and female impersonation, which were a little bit different, um, like around the 1850s um, to the 1920s. And uh, some of that coming from like English musical traditions, some of that coming from like African-American blues uh, traditions. And it, it initially queening was, um, was more like part of menstrual shows. It wasn't necessarily part of queer culture. And you said minstrel shows, not menstrual shows, right? Yeah, like uh, <laughs> menstrual, like that also included blackface and stuff like that, right? Like traveling around. Um, but uh, just when it it entered, like the queer community is kind of up for debate, but at least by the 1940s, uh, queen culture within the queer community was a thing and by the 60s I think it was established genre the kind of differences the that trajectory from male personation to keen is not as clear or linear as in queen as with queen culture so I think the more that's why people I think know more about queens right and they seem to have a longer more established history but also that stuff goes that also relates back to like dress reform like it was actually legal for women to wear breeches women's rights um you know relationships to feminism a lot of the things around that were going on during that span of time that i think relate to how those two genres developed do you think do you feel like there is a higher bar now for what you have to be aware of in order to do drag well i don't think so. i don't actually think the bar is higher i mean i think that most people still view drag as a kind of you go in there you you're going to expect to probably be maybe offended a little bit or just be like what the f or or just really laugh a lot i don't know it just depends on you know your perspective in terms of what, what kind of politics you have but I don't know. I think it, it, there is something to be said, though, for, you know, people who live everyday life on gender margins and having feeling like their way of life is being mocked on stage. Um, you know, I totally get that argument. Um, but I think that's not you can't say that as a blanket statement about drag. It's very performance dependent. Right. Hmm. Queening 
from what I know during when it emerged in the 60s, it, it was actually the maleness of the performer was quite important. So that juxtaposition between maleness and an impersonation of femininity and like and kind of transgressing that boundary, like becoming too close to being a woman during that time um, wasn't really seen as a good thing, I guess, within the gay community. So there's just kind of trans antagonism, I guess, as to some of the things that I've learned just from reading. Uh, being offensive is kind of part of queening, I think, and um, to some people, like that's just not their thing right and it can be misogynist or it can be um offensive to a lot of people but i i, I love queens personally i i love rupaul's drag race and like i mean i i totally understand some of the arguments um that people make in in terms of of trans antagonism within the queen community but i don't think i think that a lot of queens have a, a really a soft heart and are very um, love women and, and including you know all kinds of women like there were there were queens involved right back in the day when things were not really that easy you know to, to just live and and they were I think drag back then they were some of the people that were spokespeople or stood up you know or participated in resistance and I don't know yeah and everybody f***s up so, Liam, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's just like so interesting because you have Darren on one hand and just the sound of his voice. He's fast-paced, he's loud, he's abrasive, um, uh, and using profanities um, <laughs> kind of like represent this uh, like 80s, 90s, like um, fight for survival when it came to that community. And then on the other hand, you have Ponyboy, who's, you know, soft and, and, and kind of passive, sucking on a, on a cough drop the entire interview. Just um, to be fair, they were, they were a bit sick. <laughs> they were a little bit sick, and that's fair. But they were like also like just uh, calm, and uh, it's kind of like they're both representing the two different sides uh, and the growth, I guess, of of that community. Um, like you, you got to interview them, so you probably had a good experience of being in the room with them. Um, and, and I know Darren kind of well, um, but uh, it, it's just like um, the language, of course. The uh, Darren's community had to create a space, had to push around and create a space for for them to be and now the space is there and it's about like well what do we want this space to be and that's the question that I think uh, the current uh, drag kings and queens are having to face and and question yeah well what do you think of the, the two kind of different approaches that, that have been presented here one being how outreach um, at the University of Alberta um, said you know we don't want you to use this old vocabulary that you grew up with because it makes us uncomfortable. The other being Pony's kind of approach of like this loving, more generous uh, approach of, hey, I recognize that the struggles of your generation were different than mine and you have a different outlook. Well, yeah, and I think it's interesting because uh, Pony Boy even says like uh, uh, being offensive is part of queening. Uh, there's um, an inherent uh, part of, of this art form is to stir people up, is to make people turn heads is essentially to be problematic and maybe that stretches out to a lot more art forms and then on the other hand you also have Darren who acknowledges you know what's new is what's going to be next um, and I think 
at the end of the day, they're both part of a timeline. They're part of this legacy that um, you know we're, they're two different worlds, but they're connected and they're and they're entwined. Um, and so yeah, they're gonna they're, there's going to be differences, um, and not everyone's always going to be happy with you know how the old guard kind of wants to say things. But that's you know if they hadn't said things like that, then there wouldn't have been the space to say things in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's the problem that we'll face again and again and again within not just in the drag community but in many communities yeah well I, I'll give the last word to the drag queen who started this conversation Darren Hagen again author of memoir and play the Edmonton Queen one thing I'd like to say is um, is how proud I am of people that decide decide decides the wrong word the people that are brave enough to present themselves as gender fluid or gender queer out in public, on the street, at work, the people that are actually taking advantage of the rights that the people before me were fighting for, I mean, that's exciting to see. Like, I'm actually old enough now that uh, I'm, I'm meeting young queer people that weren't even born when Flashback was closed, when it closed down, which seems like just yesterday to me. So, um, but, the, you know, the, I think these individuals, I think here's, here's, here's what's not fair. Um, people that don't recognize the, the, the trauma and strife and blood and sweat that went into the rights that they're taking for granted now. That's, that's something I want, I want every queer, trans, LGBTQSRV, without every letter of the gender dysphoria that you can imagine. I want all those people to realize that, um, that you know, people died for that. And I'm not exaggerating. People died for that. I watched them die for that. And, and there's a lot of people that didn't make, didn't live long enough to be able to grow old in a world where there actually is queer rights. And I think that that's an important thing for every young person to remember now. So, you know, when an old queen comes to your class and you say that she can't use certain words and she leaves in a huff, huff just, you know, think about the context. <laughs> <laughs> I leave in a half all the time, just so you know. So it's not something exclusive to that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm planning my leave. Yeah, I was going to say right now. Exit yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't find a drink to throw on my way out. <laughs> and there Darren goes, bolting out, knocking over the water. Well, that's all the time we have today for All That Matters. Thanks to Darren Hagen and Pony Meyer for speaking with us. If you want to catch Darren in action this month, you can see him at the Sterling Award-winning show Flora and Fauna's Field Trip at Northern Light Theatre from January 15th to 23rd. He's also co-directing Klondike's at Theatre Network on from February 4th to 21st. You can catch Pony Meyer on stage by looking up Queer Royale in Edmonton. All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Our theme music is by Okashi Taru. Additional music today by Rasheen Murphy. Tweet us and let us know what you think about the show. We're at ATMCJSR. We're also on Facebook and our email address is allthatmatters at cjsr.com. Our website is allthatmatterscjsr.wordpress.com. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And I'm Liam Cody. Thanks for listening.